Genesis chapter 29, verses 1 through 30. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel's daughter is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall be your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for the younger daughter, daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. In the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this that you've done to me? Did I not serve you for did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What a fascinating passage today. We got (laughs) Jacob... And he's pining after one of his cousins. Um, you know, his mother's brother is Laban. And so his his daughter, Rachel and Jackson, I can't think of a better crew to read this passage except two guys from Alabama <laughs> like us. 
<laughs> so we got some cousin loving. Um, oh, but, you know, I, I think so much jumps out of this passage as like strange to us and rightfully so. But uh, that doesn't mean that there's nothing to learn here. Um, and so, Jackson, we got some love. We got some deceit and cultural uh, mores and, you know, all sorts of things. So what are your thoughts on today's passage from Genesis? Yes. Well, I think the very first thought I have is, is that, uh, you know, this is not how I would draw it up if I was having to instruct someone for how to pursue a dating relationship. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. Maybe not take Genesis 29 as prescriptive for how you go about seeking a spouse. Um, but if I had to like back up and try to pull out some principles here, especially as we're thinking about this idea and topic of dating um, these days, you know, if you, if you go to Genesis 28, uh, when Isaac calls Jacob and he blesses him, he, he tells him, you need to go to this land so that you might uh, take the right kind of wife. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, you must not take a wife from amongst the Canaanites. And, and so instead, go to your mother's brother and go and take a wife from this place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not like like Jacob needs to go and marry Leah. It, it's not quite the the same sort of like mysterious type of situation where you almost have like a fleece and, and you mm. know, if, if this person does this, then you marry this person kind of thing. Like, like, like Jacob could go and he could choose who he wants to marry mm-hmm. and his affections rest on Rachel. Mm-hmm. And so he, uh, you know, seems to be in rapture with, with Rachel. He loves Rachel and he wants Rachel to the point where he says he's willing to work seven years. The scoundrel Laban, you know, um, uh, relies on this kind of cultural, mandate that maybe is true maybe isn't um jacob at least is unaware of it and Mm -hmm. so all of a sudden he finds himself married to leah but his love for rachel is so uh, enduring he says i'll work another seven years and so uh he ends up uh marrying rachel as well after the seven years now Mm. lots of things there um again this is not how you draw it up uh this is not how i would recommend people to think about dating in the prescriptive sure but um god is clearly doing something in this story yeah you know so he's preparing the the lineage of israel uh in this passage so we're going to see children come from rachel and then we're going to see very important children come from leah as well mm-hmm. and this is ultimately going to lead us to christ so yeah. so we're mo- we're seeing redemption story we move forward which exactly. is amazing but we also i do think see a profound and very special love that Jacob has for Rachel that that I think is commendable and I, I think is something that uh, should remind us of something of the sort of love that um, that we should hope for and aspire for for our spouses. Absolutely. And um, you know, we we have the privilege of in our society of being able to to date and marry for love and not just because we're in a contract. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, and, and so. Um, I think there's something here that teaches us about kind of the commitment and the 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 sort of affections that go into a loving marital relationship. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think like one immediate thing that comes to mind with passages like this, stories like this that we need to deal with is 
Um, does the Bible endorse or maybe even encourage yep. uh, polygamy um, or like polyamorous relationships? Mm-hmm. Um, which is a fair question to come to because you do see it. I mean, David has multiple wives, Solomon, obviously, right. you know, by the thousands. And, mm-hmm. uh, and even here, you know, we, we see this two wife situation. Yeah. And I think a really important, you know, I guess concept to grasp when we talk about things like this is um, God's immediate justice and God's effectual justice. And I would say that polygamy in the Old Testament is something where we see, you know, we we know that when marriage is sort of instituted um, and the paradigm of it that is set up in, you know, the beginning of Genesis is obviously, you know, man shall leave his wife, wife shall leave her, or sorry, not man shall leave his wife, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And, you know, like that sort of stuff that we read at modern day weddings. But here in the Old Testament, when, you know, a man takes multiple wives, first of all, it's a, it's almost always out of at least one of those marriages is out of like a very carnal appetite. Right. Um, and, you know, we kind of see that with like David and Bathsheba and, you know, Solomon definitely. And another thing that we see is that it always creates turmoil. Yeah. And, and it always, you know, creates issues and headache um, for the people involved and then for those who come after. And so, you know, if you keep reading in Genesis, um, Leah and Rachel basically have this like baby creating contest. Like they're, you know, they're just trying to pop out babies to um, win the affection of the husband Mm -hmm. of Jacob. And, um, you know, so first of all, I think that that is just important to see here. Like this is not a biblical mandate um, to just, you know, have very loose laws around marriage, but that God's righteousness um, always is kind of shown through how these things play out. But second of all, and I, I love how you began to hit on the redemptive aspect. Yeah, Leah, who was never even supposed to enter the equation, but is brought in through, you know, Laban's deception. deception. Yeah, um, and it's really messed up, and like it's. It's hurtful to Leah. I mean, I just can't imagine like the levels of emotional oh toil going on here. But, you know, Leah in this, you know, in, in this baby making competition that her and Rachel get into later in the book of Genesis, um, Leah fathers or mothers a baby named Judah. Um, and thus the tribe of Judah that Christ will come from is born. And so I think it's so important to see throughout scripture, these moments where uh, humans, selfish ambition and, you know, brokenness, God ultimately, you know, repurposes and orchestrates salvation through. And so I think we should walk away from the story of Leah and Jacob and Judah, um, not, you know, fascinated mainly with the characters, but fascinated with a God who would take situations like this and bring forward himself incarnate. Right. Amen. Yeah. I mean, at a very basic level, like who is the main character of the story? Well, it's always going to be God, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if David was the, the central character of the old Testament, Mm -hmm. well, David has some cool stories, Mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, my kids are sort of enamored with David and Goliath and it's like, well, that's great. But, David was a scoundrel. Yeah. David is the same David of Psalm 51 Mm -hmm. who, you know, who's seemingly 
beating his chest saying, totally. have mercy on me, oh God, because I'm a great sinner, right? Mm-hmm. He, he's the 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 sort of person who would commit adultery and, and send an innocent man to his death. And similarly here, it's like, well, if Jacob was the central character, if Rachel was the cent- central character, if Leah was the central of character, like we're, we're going to have a picture of morality painted for us that is going to be something that is less than what uh, God puts forward as an ideal. And absolutely. And just as a, at a basic level, um, you know, it feels to me like people will kind of betray a, a lack of understanding about how to read different types mm-hmm. of, of genres of, just just in general, but especially in the Bible, mm-hmm. when they say things like, oh, the Bible endorses polygamy or the di- Bible endorses um, X amount of things just because it is described in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Like, like we're seeing imperfect people uh, acting according to their flesh, uh, seeking to please God sometimes, but oftentimes seeking to please themselves. Mm-hmm. doing things that make sense, doing things yep. from this sort of carnal perspective. And the Bible is is seeking to be true mm-hmm. uh, in describing how these things played out. Absolutely. And so it's not endorsing them. It's not saying, okay, again, this is how we want to encourage you, uh, you know, yeah. it's uh, not a go folks and do at Christ's likewise. covenant. Yeah, yeah. Go, go and do likewise. Instead, what we're seeing is actual history here. And we're seeing the great God of glory working in real mess through people's sin to actually bring about redemption because he is powerful, mm-hmm. because he is good, because he works all things according to his good purposes. Mm-hmm. And he will bring those things that he has purposed to completion. And oh, by the way, that's also going to be for our ultimate eternal good Absolutely. too. Absolutely. And, and so, um, yeah, we want to be careful to, to kind of assume the Bible's morality just because something is highlighted. Mm. Uh, that's not that's not the way that narrative works. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that that's sort of like hermeneutic that you're talking about of like, you know, when, we, when we're over literal about stuff like that, it often does come from, you know, what we would call like narcissus or like a narcissetical sort of approach, which is, you know, basically studying scripture with primarily yourself in mind. Yeah. And so like viewing yourself as the, chief applicant or the chief character in a story. And um, especially with Old Testament texts, you really have to immerse yourself in the story and look for God. And then what God will do in you through what he teaches you, you know, that kind of emerges and evolves and takes shape um, as you look for him and his spirit and look for the face of Jesus in the Old Testament. You know, one thing on that though, there is a type of, telling of history called historiography Mm. and and to kind of let people off the hook a little bit one of the things that you see pretty common in a telling of history is a slanted type of history yeah and so you know you see see this all the time in ancient near eastern eastern documents it's like we're going to tell a particular type of history that makes a certain person usually a king or a ruler of a land look really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everything's gonna kind of be slanted in such a way that highlights those person, that person's strengths, yep. their victories. And, and that's actually one of the things that lends a ton of credibility to the scriptures <laughs> because the scriptures aren't this like giant piece of propaganda about how great David is or how uh, the people of God always get it right. 
Instead, they're this very honest portrayal of real people struggling and failing and sometimes hoping and trusting in God, but then again and again, going back to themselves. And so it's actually one of those things that should increase our confidence in the word of God as we go to it, rather than uh, cause us to, um, you know, sort of think, oh man, this is, this is sort of a, um, a flat telling of, of God's moral ethic, you know, um, instead we're seeing imperfect people doing imperfect things, sinning against a rebel, uh, a, a glorious God and God rescuing those people nevertheless, because he loves them. Yeah. Amen. Absolutely. Well, hopefully you are helped by this passage and, um, God's spirit at work through it. So for Jackson Randall, this is Will Carlisle, and we look forward to seeing, to seeing you tomorrow on our daily rhythm. Thanks for listening to our daily rhythm. I'm Jason Dees, one of the pastors of Christ Covenant, and Our Daily Rhythm is a ministry of our church designed to help you more faithfully and effectively meditate on God's Word. If you ever have a question for us about one of our Bible readings or one of your own Bible readings, please don't hesitate to text us at 404-465-1737. Again, that's 404-465-1737. Or email me directly at jason at christcovenant.com. We'll meet you again tomorrow for Our Daily Rhythm.